1: Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, got another fun show lined up for you. A lot of quarterback talk on this episode of the show. Cousin Shane, still on vacation. <laughs> he, <laughs> someone said he goes on vacation more in the damn bank, and it's true. So uh, <laughs> I'll be flying solo until. The big Tennessee homer's back on the line, but it uh, won't be too much longer. He's gearing up for the season. But, hey, we got a fun show without him. Anyway, we're going to recap Vanderbilt spring game. And like I said, a lot of quarterback talk on this episode. And what better, when we're talking SEC football, not many quarterbacks as legendary as Peyton Manning. And I just stumbled across this little clip here. I thought uh, Tennessee fans and, and really just all SEC fans would appreciate uh, from Jamal Lewis, the former Tennessee running back who went on to uh, a ton of success with the Baltimore Ravens, won a national championship in college, won a Super Bowl in the NFL. He did a video on a website, just stumbled across this, golongtd.com. So go check out the full conversation with Jamal Lewis if you're interested. But He was asked to recall his time at Tennessee, and he shared a great story on David Cutcliffe calling him out for his practice habits and learning from Peyton Manning. I thought this was some good insight that uh, a lot of fans would appreciate. What a great
0: quarterback like like Peyton, um, you know, and just being taught by somebody like him. um, Probably, you know, you probably knew he was going to be great, you know, in the NFL. But you know, at the time when he's a senior in, in college. Uh, just how I, – I can, I can remember one story uh, with David Cutcliffe. Uh, I remember David Cutcliffe came to me, and he said, uh, after practice, when I was a freshman, I wasn't playing yet, uh, and he came to me and said, hey, you can't, you can't play for me. And I was like, like, why, <laughs> you know? And he said, because you're not a practice player. And I'm like, you know, you're right. You know, I'm a gamer. <laughs> you know, that was just – young, cocky, 17-year-old Jamal at the time. But he told me, he said, hey, when you come out here tomorrow, he said, I want you to watch number 16 practice. And I did it. And I watched Peyton practice from the start of practice to the end of practice. Every single rep, every – when the whistle was – between the whistles, he was 100 miles an hour – uh, everything was, he looked just like he was in a game. And from that day forth, that's when I said, you know what, this is how I'm going to approach this. And that's how I, I practice, you know, from there on, as far as hundred miles an hour, you know, um, making sure everything is right. Uh, nothing different than you would do in the game. Uh, the only thing is the contact, you know, whatever, but I'm running through the line hundred miles an hour, uh. Picking up my blitzes, whatever it might be. But that was uh that was something that I pulled and learned from somebody like Peyton that really helped me get drafted where I did, um, sustain uh, a 10-year career uh as a starter, you know, the whole time. Um, so that was that was because you wouldn't outwork me. Uh and in practice, you wasn't gonna outwork me in practice because if a coach watches me on film. I'm going 100, I'm giving 100%, you know, so, and that's effort. And I also got a little bit of talent. So So I don't
1: know about anybody else, but uh, when I hear Peyton Manning, you always think of the big moments, the big plays, but what you didn't see is all the preparation that went into it. And he had that going back to his high school and and obviously his college days. I've heard stories of him basically just running rampant of the Tennessee video room you know, back then it wasn't all digital. You had to have physically have the tapes, and his trunk would just be loaded with them because he would just be taking all that home when he they kicking him out of the facility. He had to go home and watch all this stuff on his free time. That's what an animal he was for film study, and of course one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And I just thought it was kind of cool, Jamal Lewis crediting Peyton for a big reason why. He had so much success in college and in the NFL. But speaking of uh, quarterbacks, if you follow me online on uh, the social medias, on, on Twitter, Saturday night, I'm going to start putting out stuff like this every Saturday, just get engagement going here, get some the conversation going during the offseason without college football. But uh, I threw this graphic up. I'll throw it up on the screen. And if you're just listening, it's just a graphic featuring several SEC quarterbacks. I tried to jam as many in here as possible, but there were some notable exceptions. First edition did not have Connor Wigman. It was supposed to. I also left out Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift. It just, I mean, there's only so much room here. But the caption I had, which quarterback by the end of the season will be named first team all SEC I've gone back and tallied up the responses. And maybe this is just an indication of who follows me, but uh, interesting results. I did not see this guy being picked more than any other. And it was a tight race here, but no surprise to Rocky Top and Vol Nation. Joe Milton led the way with 29 people saying the answer would be Joe Milton. First team, all SEC, Not saying it won't happen, but that would not be my first pick. Probably my first pick would be K.J. Jefferson, who came in. Again, I told you this was a a neck-and-neck competition. K.J. had 28 votes in this thing, so just one less than old Bazooka Joe. Spencer Rattler, not far behind. 20 selections for Spencer Rattler. Those were the top three vote-getters in this thing. And fourth... Where is Connor Wigman? (laughs) Some version of that was uttered 12 different times with, I thought was interesting. Only three people actually said Connor Wigman would be the selection. So more people were just pissed off that Connor Wigman was not included on the initial graphic. Devin Leary, Kentucky's new quarterback. He had eight. He's next on the list. Some version of where are the Georgia quarterbacks got five again, more than Carson Beck garnered Carson Beck. Got four selections. Jane Daniels, only three. Kind of stunned by that. Would certainly think he would be in conversation for at least the top four, if not the top two. Jackson Dart got three picks. Will Rogers, what the hell? Mississippi State's got to represent here. He only got three selections as well. The same amount as Sam Horn. Mizzou fans fired up for the Sam Horn era, and it's not even officially begun. It may not even officially start this year, but he got more selections than Brady Cook, who had two. Spencer Sanders had one. Nico Iamavalea. I think I'm getting close to getting that. He got one. And Graham Mertz also one selection from some diehard Gator out there. So, like I said, I'm going to be putting more of these out Saturday nights, getting some engagement. You'll have to stay tuned to see uh, what position group I tackle next. But, Speaking of quarterbacks, perfect segue to let's give a shout-out to uh, Matt Zinich, friend of the show he's been on before, works for On3s, one of their insiders there. He did a really great piece on Spencer Rattler and how everything's going in this Dow Loggins offense. I'm going to read an excerpt here from Matt Zinich's post. I'll throw it up here on the screen. And This is his words here from his reporting. Again, he's not a South Carolina reporter. He's not a South Carolina insider. So I think there's more weight to these comments he's making because Matt Zinnis don't care if Spencer Rattler's good or not. But here's what he's reporting. There's a lot of internal buzz at South Carolina about Rattler and how he's looked under new offensive coordinator Dow Loggins. Rattler and Loggins seem to be very much on the same page. In addition, Loggins' new system has simplified things for Rattler and Gamecocks offensive players. The system plays to the strengths of Rattler, who is seemingly more comfortable overall, heading into his second season in the South Carolina program. And that is truly what plagued this offense, based on conversations I've had with under Marcus Satterford. It was too complex. The play designs, the, the personnel groupings, on and on and on. It was just foolish how much they were... Throwing on these college players, particularly transfers, incoming players that uh, Shane Beamer and company have brought in to execute this offense. And they got away from that against Tennessee, against Clemson, against Notre Dame, where Spencer Rattler had some of his better games. So, again, if I'm a South Carolina fan, I'm pretty fired up. And this is coming from a non-biased reporter, one of the best in the game Matt Zinich is, is essentially the Adam Schefter of college football. So I certainly know if I'm a Gamecock fan, I'm pretty damn fired up to hear this type of talk and cannot wait to see what South Carolina's got cooking here in the upcoming spring game. Well, and speaking of a spring game, we've got one Thursday night. Yes, Thursday night with the Florida Gators kicking things off. Smart move, in my opinion. Billy Napier and company will be able to host more recruits We'll have more eyes on your game. And of course, we'll be breaking it down immediately after it happens for the Friday show. But the Florida Gators will be having their spring game this Thursday. And a lot of buzz from Billy Napier on his transfer quarterback, Graham Mertz, the former five star, been at Wisconsin his entire career. Now he's coming down here to Gainesville. He's not saying he's the assumed starter, but based on these comments, certainly Graham Mertz is the leader. In the clubhouse down there in Gainesville, and one thing that uh, you know I have heard, I still haven't done my deep dive on these transfer quarterbacks that have come into the SEC. I plan on doing that as soon as spring football comes to an end. I'll have, you know, there, there's not going to be anything going on, so I'll have time to take a deep dive uh, and go back and watch these players uh, at their previous stops. But at Wisconsin, you know, they put Graham Mertz in a lot of bad situations. We all know the Wisconsin offense run heavy, but they don't run play action for some reason. It was a very vanilla game plan: run, run, pass on third and long, and just never set up Graham Mertz for success. Now, was that Wisconsin holding Mertz back, or was Mertz holding the Wisconsin offense back? I mean, we just don't, we won't know that answer till the fall. But here's what Billy Napier had to say recently on the impact Graham Hertz is making on the Florida program. And I don't know how you listen to this and don't automatically name him the starting quarterback. I mean, he, it certainly sounds like it's trending that way. And we'll maybe get some firm answers here Thursday night as the Gators host their latest spring game, the second under Billy Napier. Quarterback situation, you know, Graham came in obviously probably thinking he's gonna be the guy one more year. How is he, Is he distanced himself at all? How would you evaluate that, that competition right
2: now? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that we're ready to define that, you know, in the public, um, if that makes sense, but um, what I would say is that Graham Mertz has been impressive to watch, you know, just his maturity, his ability to, to learn a new system in a very quick manner. You know, he did 2 days basically since the day he got here. Uh, he's been grinding away behind the scenes, um, and he's hit the ground running. I mean, he operates like a guy who's been around here, you know. So, and the most important thing here is that he has forced uh, the other players to rise to the occasion. You know, Jack Miller um, has really made drastic improvement, you know, I mean. I haven't watched Jack. I feel like you know he had he's out basically the entire season, and then we throw him to the wolves in the bowl game, you know. But um, he has really impressed me with his response to the competition. Um, and then Max, obviously, is a young player who flashes uh, and does a lot of things well, and is still learning, and and can be more consistent. So, um, you know, we we don't we don't play a game anytime soon. Right, And I think uh, one thing that competition has done for both players is made them be on top of their game. So um, I like that variable. We're going to try to keep that variable um, where it's at.
1: So, again, I don't know how you hear those comments and don't assume Graham Mertz, barring some unforeseen incident or maybe an incoming transfer or Jack Miller taking a huge stride in the summer, is – I don't know how Mertz is not going to be the guy for the Florida Gators when they travel to Utah to open the upcoming season. Well, speaking and speaking of a spring game, of course, Vanderbilt held theirs over the weekend, finally had an opportunity to go back to watch it. So here's my takeaways from it. And this is a big one, I think, for Vanderbilt fans. This is something we've been waiting for under Clark Lee, the defense. They have asserted themselves, really got after The offense, they won the game. It was one of those weird games where you get a three and out, you get points. Turnovers, you get a point. I think tackles for loss or something like that. It it was a wonky game. But however the scoring system worked out, the defense did win it. Uh, I I thought the defense really got after the quarterback. That was apparent. They only had 17 sacks. It was dead last in the SEC last season. Now, of course, you sit here at a spring game and say, well, Is that good news or is that bad news, meaning the offensive line is terrible? (laughs) It's hard to judge, but this is what I want to see from a Clark Lee defense. This is what I thought we were getting when we hired one of the best defensive coordinators in the country to be our head coach. I thought the defense looked bigger. They looked faster, and those are things that uh, Clark Lee echoes here in his postgame. Junior safety Marlon Sewell had a really big game. Looked like someone that is primed for a big season for the Commodores. Ricky Wright had arguably the biggest play of the spring game with his pick six in the third quarter. So, again, defense starting to assert itself. That's what I've been wanting to see from Vanderbilt. That's the best sign I think we could have gotten this spring from the Commodores. And how about this true freshman? One guy that really stood out to me. Early enrollee number 36, Cedric Alexander from Austin, Texas. He scored on a tough red zone run uh, with uh, Raheem Davis. Ray Davis off to Kentucky. Looks like Cedric Alexander is going to step up there. He had seven carries for 56 yards and the touchdown. Chase Gillespie also looked pretty good. The sophomore running back, 15 carries, 93 yards. I'm feeling confident about what we got at the running back position after watching the spring game. And just overall, the depth looked better, particularly at quarterback, where there have been years where the Commodores didn't have any quarterbacks. A.J. Swan was hit or miss, uh, but came off the bench, and Ken Seals finished strong after a shaky start. The two guys that really caught my eye, not that they're going to be stealing the job from A.J. Swan anytime soon, but Drew Dickey and Walter Taylor, two of the younger quarterbacks on the roster. Well, hell, all all these guys except for Ken Seals are young, but I was just really struck by the quality depth that Vanderbilt's got at the the game's most important position. Going into a season with four quarterbacks is essentially unheard of now in SEC, but it looks like Vanderbilt's got that. They were taking a lot of deep shots. It's not something we got to see a lot for, you know, Mike Wright was such a great leader, dynamic playmaker with his legs, but just was never able to push that ball down the field. We saw a lot of that in this ball game. We had a 50-yard touchdown right before halftime. Walter Taylor to Wilson Long. That was a nice pickup. A.J. Swan hit Quincy Skinner on a 69-yard touchdown. That was actually called back for taunting. We got taunting in a spring game. Man, Vandy's got some swag. I mean, I'd be celebrating that if I'm Vanderbilt. Uh, I mean, how long? We, we've been waiting a long time for a team to have some swagger to it. And even though that 69-yard touchdown got called back, penalty, that drive still resulted in a touchdown, fourth and one, really nice touch pass from A.J. Swan to Richie Hoskins, kind of putting on display the quarterback's touch in addition to his very strong arm there. Again, play of the day was uh, their outstanding safety to Ricky Wright with the pick six. He picked that off of Drew Dickey. That was the play that essentially won the defense the game. But, again, all you know, it's always hard to read into these spring games and, and what a team has and what they don't. But certainly, Vanderbilt looks like an SEC team when I think it's safe to say in, in years past they were nowhere close to be anywhere close to what we expect to see on the field on Saturday. I think the roster rehabilitation is clearly working. We've got tons of young talent. We've got experienced veterans coming back. And when Vanderbilt opened the spring, the goal was to make the postseason. I don't see any reason why that can't happen for the Commodores this fall based on what we saw here on Saturday. Now after the spring game, uh, Clark Lee. Not a ton of comments here, but uh, I thought these were the best ones he had. The running game, again, something I hit on there. Exiting the spring, getting stronger and stronger. One of the standouts of camp. Let's kick it over to Clark Lee, who talks the improved running attack for the Commodores.
3: I felt like the running game progressed a little bit maybe as the spring went on and it was a little better today than some days we've seen. Is that a fair way to put it? Uh, It is. No, I think it's, we've, we've, um, you know, we've retooled some of the, Stuff we we're doing tactical in terms of the tactics, and I thought uh, here in the last few practices, you've, you've seen a little bit more production coming in the run game. Obviously, that's something we're going to have pride in, and you know, coming off last year, we want to be a team that can run the ball. Um, and part of it is getting young running backs comfortable. You know, back there, too, Chase Gillespie's still a freshman. I thought he had some good runs today. And, again, Cedric did. And even um, Dylan vets probably coming off a of quad strain, I thought had a nice day. Um, and, and Cheeks had some runs, too. So, it, it was good. I think that starts up front. But um, I thought they did a nice job covering up the defense and finding some runs, some vertical cuts there that allowed the run game to get going.
1: And then the other thing I hit on to defense, asserting itself, taking leaps, being leaps and bounds better than where they were just two years ago Clark Lee seems very happy with the progression of his unit on that defensive side of the ball. Um, the
0: defense winning this, week, I guess, for game today, do you think that that shows the uh, improvement of that
3: unit? Well, certainly I, I, I still go back to saying, yeah, I want to see our, I want to see our full allotment of receiver skill healthy. I think we got a, um, you know, we've got some playmakers in our sideline. And so there's, there's going to be more p- pressure put on them in fall camp. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they've improved. I thought, said it, you know, our most improved unit's been our defensive line. They showed up today, batted some balls down, uh, made some plays in the run game, got pressure on the quarterback. Um, you know, I was joking with uh, Davian Davis, you know, we've come a long way defensively in two years. If you remember that first spring game, um, I don't know, that they may still be running offensive plays from that one. Um, so yeah, I'm proud of them. The biggest thing to me is they were physical, they were running the ball. Um, we've gotten faster, that's measurable, and, um, and certainly something to build on. Uh, still have a long way to go and a lot of uh, you know uh, unsettled uh, questions to answer, but we've made progress this spring.
1: All right, so hey, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. A little bit of a shorter one here, but uh, we got tons of spring content coming this weekend. Again, Thursday night, Florida Spring Game, Arkansas on Saturday, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Ole Miss, Georgia, Texas A&M, and South Carolina in the evening. It's going to be a loaded. Loaded Saturday of spring game content and I'm going to try my damnedest never done one of these YouTube live videos, but I think I'm going to do it here Saturday night Watch some spring football hop on here. Just give my immediate takeaways From everything we saw on Saturday, hopefully I can keep up with it with so many spring games kicking off at the same time. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, that, That'll be coming your way this weekend. Cannot wait to see some of these teams kicking it off and some of these young players and these quarterback competitions. Man, it's going to be a fun weekend and one of the last weekends we got before the the long summer months here with no football to discuss. So savor it. Again, I know it's just a spring game. Take advantage of them while you can. Let's pray for good weather all across the SEC after watching that weather down there on the plains was awful. But uh, hopefully nowhere else we get that around the SEC. But that's all I got on this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy.